Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Marlin Mar Johnson, who's an executive vice president at Salsa Zar Resources, who are an an Ecuadorian project generator with a proven track record of discovery and have a well-funded high-grade copper and gold asset in Ecuador. Um, Merlin's a geologist by trade and has worked in the commodity and equity markets for HSBC before leading a few junior mining companies um, through his career, which uh, Marlin will obviously um, tell us about in a minute. Um, Marlin's um, belief is that old primary industry principles of economic theory, which say that the wealth can be created with land, work, ideas and capital are are still very relevant in today's modern world. So we're going to cover this and talk more about um, the project in Ecuador. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Marlin to the uh, to the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. I appreciate your time. So, um, yeah, wondered if you can give our audience a little bit about uh, background about yourself. Um, obviously, you were a geologist. You started off in geology. Um, so I just wanted to just um, give us a brief overview of your journey from when you graduated to sort of where you are present day. Sure, with great pleasure. Um, I went to university actually to study engineering and I was studying civil engineering and I um, I was finding it quite hard going, not much poetry in concrete. Um, And there was this one subject, which is you had to learn what you were building on. uh, And it was geology and I had never heard of it before as a subject. And it was just like a light going off in my head. I thought, wow, you can actually study this for a whole three or four years. Fantastic. And I um, switched course and I absolutely loved uh, the the geology course. And one of the things that I particularly enjoyed was the economic uh, geology side of things because it drew on every aspect of your geological learning, but it also brought in um, economics and um, human aspects of it, which was just totally fascinating for me. And I remember coming out of my final year exams, actually out of my, 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 my first set of exams and my first year of geology, just gobsmacked at how exciting that year had been and how much I'd learned about time, about how humans are interacted with the planet, how countries were built and nations were built. And I just couldn't believe that I'd gone through 20 years of my life up to that point without knowing what I knew then, you know, I was a first year undergraduate. So, I, you know, only kind of baby steps, but it was still so exciting. Um, I went and did my second year of geology in Spanish at a Spanish university, and I came back, and in my final year, Rio Tinto came around um, the universities kind of explaining about what they did. Uh, I asked a whole bunch of questions, and I ended up going to work with Rio Tinto in South America for a couple of years, and I was hungry and thirsty for knowledge, and it was just so exciting, um, excited to be out there. I was worked in Botswana, um, in the uh, Northern Cape of uh, South Africa, looking for um, lead zinc, Mississippi Valley type lead zinc deposits. I was working the, uh, in the cupola of the Bushveld complex, looking for uh, kind of copper deposits there. And um, 
I came back for one of the holidays and I met someone who was a professor at um, um, Imperial College and who said there's this really good course at the moment in um, Royal School of Mines, uh, which was potentially going to be shutting down because it was right in the middle of the 1990s and metal prices were slumping. And I applied just on the on, on a whim to see if I could get a scholarship and I got industry funding and I went to that and I absolutely loved that. That was essentially how to do a um, a feasibility study in 12 months. It was okay. called Mineral Deposit Evaluation, Technical and Financial Evaluation of um, Mineral Deposits. And for my um, thesis, I did a study of uh, open cast gold mines um, and you plugged in a few parameters like grade and metallurgy and discount rate and gold price and it spat out what the capex was gonna be, what the opex was gonna be and what the mineral processing route was gonna be, whether it's gonna be biox or uh, roasting or heat bleach or CIL and um, Imperial like this they, they tried to patent it and kind of um, had a kind of commercial arrangement with the university but I went on to work with um, HSBC and I was there for six years I was an analyst um, I was the first analyst that covered Neuros Nickel on Rangel Resources I worked quite a lot with Mark Bristow went around um, West Africa a few times with him um, fascinating time working within uh, HSBC. It's, it just opened so many doors. I presented to the board of Ford. Um, I was involved in the gold fix for a number of years, uh, actually working in Rothschilds to walk over there and do the, all the flagging stuff and actually fix the price of gold. And I was shocked and amazed when the um, the kind of the, 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 the JP Morgan scandal broke a couple of years ago, because when we were there, it was just, just a bunch of lads and we'd have a laugh and it was completely clean. Um, but very, very cool seeing the local London gold market working. Um, but after a few years, you know, there's only so much air conditioning one can take. And if you're a geologist <laughs> by training, um, I thought, well, actually, it was it was the economists at HSBC that really made me think that there was a, there was a financial crisis coming and that one of the best places to be was in, in physical gold or linked to the gold market. So I set up a gold exploration company. I went off to Central Asia. I taught myself Russian. Um, explored in Central Asia. We, we made a discovery uh, in Kyrgyzstan. We sold it to the Chinese. We had avalanches, revolution. We bought drill rigs and did our own drilling because no one could drill in Kyrgyzstan at the time. Um, we picked up some business in Tajikistan, sold that on. I mean, it was, it was, it was some pretty wild times and ended up um, quitting Central Asia and going to Ethiopia where we picked up the Tulukapi deposit, um, some signals of mineralization there and then um, we did the first drill program and that's now a two million ounce, two gram all body. Um, from <laughs> mergers, demergers, listing on AIM, raising $10 million, the whole shebang. And in 2008, 2009, I ended up running um, iron ore programs in Brazil. It was the, it was the big iron ore boom. Um, but I was commuting across the, uh, the Atlantic. It didn't work out for my family. And so in 2010, I, I started, um, I got back with some old buddies who were running projects in the Congo and I was the CEO of a private exploration company. We made a three million ounce gold discovery in the Congo. While I was doing that, I got a tap on the shoulder from a fund manager who said, Merlin, dear boy, your wife doesn't want you working in the Congo. Come and work with me in Chelsea. Uh, so I did that for five years and I was a portfolio manager for five years, um, right from almost the peak of the market, 2010, 2011, through to 2015 and being a specialist fund manager in a horrific downturn uh, all of the good decisions I made were sell decisions and none of the good decisions I made were buy or hold 
by and large. It was, it was a, a pretty horrific environment for the whole mining sector. And in fact, in 2015, the fund I was with actually capitulated and it stuck with a generalist African Middle Eastern portfolio. Uh, so from 2015, I was um, consulting into the industry and I spent a um, couple of years advising CEOs looking for the right position. I wanted to be in an exploration company that uh, didn't rely on um, hand-to-mouth funding and was in a commodity in a rising sector because those were two critical aspects which I'd seen being punished so badly from 2011 onwards. Eventually, I found Eris Resources, uh, which um, I joined when it was a private company, brought to market, raised four million quid to go into exploration in Ireland and Sweden. I had technical success in both of those, but ultimately wasn't going to be big enough to drive further capital. So um, in 2018, I restructured the company down and essentially uh, resigned to find something which could accommodate a full-time um, CEO. And since then, I've been working with Salazar Resources. And the beauty about Salazar in Ecuador is that they've got a, um, they've already made a discovery. They've got one in the bag and they've got a carried interest on a portfolio of three projects. So they get income, they've got drill rigs. Um, so there's, a, there's a, an income support, which, which covers the GNA and they've got an exploration portfolio, which gives you the leverage on the upside. Um, so kind of 25 years in the sector, I'd say half of that on the financial side, looking at um, commodities and equities, both on the investment and on the um, uh, analytical side, and the other half kind of running exploration companies. So quite a varied, quite a varied background, and I suppose split, like you said, down the middle, um, working in equities and the financial, and obviously then out out in the field. Um, one question I was going to draw back to is: was your first position with Rio? How did you get that? Because I do get a lot of uh, graduates listening um and recent graduates and sometimes some of these guys are struggling to to find that first first role how did you actually find yours yeah it's 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 hard um i got the job in 1994 and there were only four graduates employed by Rio in the uk that year um and i think what they were looking for was some degree of differentiation and uh, i had stuck my hand up uh when Rio came around and asked questions and I was interested and I knew a little bit about the resources sector. I had a, um, a dodgy Australian uncle living in Perth who was always talking about his latest venture. And so I, I, I knew a little bit about the junior mining sector. Um, I'd also, as I said, I'd done that year in Spanish. Um, so I'd studied abroad for a year, done all my exams in Spanish, which was quite a bold move. Uh, and I was really interested in um, copper deposits. I mean, I, it's very easy to be an undergraduate and interested in Chilean porphyry copper because they're so exciting. Um, but I guess I got lucky I, and I had enough distinctive about my background and I asked the right questions to be noticed. It was um, nothing more than that. I mean, I, I, I like you, I see a lot of um, graduates coming out with the master's courses and it's really tough. It's really tough to know yeah. how to get how to pick up a job. Yes, yeah, I, mean, I, had, I, had, I had an email. I've had two in the last week. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, any advice that I give graduates is I think a lot of them are on a similar playing level where they've all got limited work experience and especially out in the field and they've all graduated. 
And like you just mentioned, you had a point of difference where you did study overseas, which some people will look at that as a, 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 a could look at that in a number of different ways. But it was a distinct distinction between you and other graduates that may have just studied at one university, plus other things as well. So I think any graduates listening, if if you are going for opportunities, then you need to think why you're different than other graduates, um, even though most of you will be probably on a similar playing level. So it's great that you that you um, actually acknowledge that and how you actually got that opportunity. That could be one of the reasons why. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say good basic geological skills are really important, and interfacing that with uh, the, the the newer techniques. So if you can handle data in three dimensions, whether it's uh, a leapfrog or um, ArcGIS with the three, third dimensions, if you can do map info discover. So if you can manipulate and plot drill hole data and be able to show that you can look at something in three dimensions and, and rotate it, um, I think that's a, if, if I had a graduate coming to me who'd done the basic undergraduate course or done a master's and said, oh, and by the way, I can work in 3D, in with leapfrog or, or whatever i'd be pretty impressed with that that'd be a mm. good school and and a, a good skill and the, the other thing which i think would be really useful um is just stuff like this it's knowing how to do video editing um uh dare i say even photography because um as a um someone who's involved in mineral projects uh, and also in in the market facing side of things, one of the real shortages that we get is good quality real time imagery from the field. So if you can get beyond the cell phone and or even manipulate your cell phone to get quality data coming back, get videos coming back, if you can show a portfolio of almost reportage and you can manipulate data in um, 3D, I'd be pretty impressed. Yeah. So that, that, again, that would be a dis, uh, an advantage, a distinct advantage among other people that may not do that. So absolutely, yeah, now that's some great advice. OK, moving on. I wondered if you can tell us about um, Salsar um, and the, the operation. And then I've got some questions that I want to have a chat to you, especially around uh, Ecuador and mining in Ecuador. So just wanted to give us a, an overview of uh, the company and the project. Sure. Uh, Salazar Resources has been listed on the TSXV for 13 years. It, it was formed in 2007 by Freddy Salazar, and he formed it because he had taken Keith Barron and Patrick Anderson down to Fruta del Norte in 2003, 2004, and he had effectively shown them the most prospective area in Ecuador. And they had taken it on, they created Aurelian, and it turned into the Fruta del Norte um, gold mine, which is 24 million tons at nine grams a ton or 10 grams a ton gold. It's, it's a fantastically um, value creating um, project. And Aurelian was sold for several hundred million dollars in 2007 to Kinross. You know, so they, they were custodians of it for three years and they made tens of millions of dollars each. Freddie thought, well, I can do that. I know Ecuador really well. And um, I've got access to the capital market. So he raised the money and he spent the next 10 years dealing with Ecuadorian issues. 
um, windfall taxes, a, a ban on mining and total ban on mining in 2010, um, windfall tax, you know, a whole bunch of crazy political stuff. Um, but during the course of that, he kept drilling away and he discovered a wonderful VMS deposit called El Domo, uh, which is now 9 million tons at 5% copper equivalent at surface. And in 2017, he farmed that out, plus two porphyry kind of exploration targets, uh, and he farmed them out to a group called Adventus Mining. And when I, I joined the company two years ago, and in, um, Arlington Group had made an investment in Salazar Resources because they saw that they were being carried and they were non-dilutive. And it was exactly what I was looking for. I speak Spanish. Um, and so what I do for the company is I, um, uh, I'm the executive vice president, but effectively I'm like the kind of the co-CEO because Freddie, is, Freddie Salazar is so involved in the CSR aspect of things. Uh, we've got a hundred percent owned portfolio, which is where we're, you know, we're excited, really excited. We've just started drilling on the on our first hundred percent held property, and if you're going to look for porphyries in Ecuador, the company you um, most people know about is Solgold. You know, they've got a yeah. billion dollar market cap. Our market cap is thirty million dollars, most of which um, you can ascribe to the value of our carried property. So, our what you get is you get the best team of geologists in Ecuador. You get an unrivaled CSR expertise and uh, a team of, of guys who really know where all the geology is and have got relationships with the government and are local. We've got the, the TSXV listing and we've got a bunch of properties which we're just going into the exploration phase. And so it's a beautifully leveraged play on the upside. Yeah. Um, and for me, what it really ticks, it, which is so exciting, it hits all of those kind of developmental goals that kind of nation building, that, that creation of wealth and the long-term knock-on positive benefit that you can have through exploration and development is kind of all encapsulated in Salazar. Mm. No, that's a, that's a good overview of, uh, of the company and, um, and obviously uh, a big journey ahead of you. Um, Ecuador is rapidly gaining recognition as an exciting new mining destination. Um, what do you think has helped drive that over recent years? Oh, I mean, Ecuador is so exciting on a geological perspective, but it's always been a laggard in the resource development space, um, principally because of politics, really. Uh, when one, um, up until now, or until quite recently, that kind of when one thinks about Ecuador, it's been, oh, it's a banana republic, or there's coffee from Ecuador, uh, or the Galapagos. Yeah, it's tourism, it's... Um, cocoa, coffee, chocolate, you know, that's, and, it, and they themselves see that see the country very much like that. It's an incredibly biodiverse country. And in um, 2010, the, the Korea administration, which had come in, on two, in 2007 on a very, very strong green economy socialist agenda, they actually banned all mining. They just said, 2010, we're going to have an absolute blanket ban on mining. We are going to be the greenest company country in the entire world. And um, they also happen to be dollar denominated. And quite quickly, they were looking that because they can't print their own money, they, they were looking for a way to um, finance their social spending, finance their education, finance the, the environmental plans that they want. You know, everything needs financing, but the only way that you can do it is through, through debt instruments. And for complicated reasons, they were tapped out in the debt markets with China and the US. Um, which leaves foreign direct investment and, and export earnings. And the foreign direct investment, the only growth sector was 
was mining. And so this, the, 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 this um, you know, petroleum had peaked in the 1970s and was on a downward scale. Um, shrimp, bananas, tourism, you name it, it was all collapsing inward. And also because it's dollar denominated, it's less competitive than um, Colombia and Peru, its neighbors. So really the only thing left was the mining side of things. And of course, what you've got on the mining side is you've got this fantastic geology, which comes up through Northern Chile, Peru, and into Ecuador, which has hardly been explored because of historic um, uh, political reasons. And also there's a bit of vegetative cover, so you can't see it as clearly as you can when you're in Peru. And in fact, I've, um, I was rootling around in the, on the internet uh, recently, and I came across a paper written in 2003 uh, with a geologist from um, Leeds University, another one from Quito. And, um, so it was, it was a study based out of linked between Leeds University and Quito. And they had looked at the fertility of the magmas from northern Chile in Peru in the, into Ecuador. And this is, remember, this is 2003. And they're saying, well, we just can't understand it because the fertility of the magmas in Ecuador and all the chemical signals we've got indicate that there should be lots of large um, porphyry deposits here, but there are none. Maybe it's because they've been eroded. And I think the answer is, is that they hadn't been explored for because Ecuador is one of the few places in the world where you can still walk up and find porphyry deposits. And I know because I've walked up to one. Yeah. Um, and we've applied for it and it's really exciting. Um, we hope we get that license, and, but it's not just that one. There are many others. I mean, we're, there, there are literally walk-up targets. And I had a big lump of rock around here, but I don't have it right now. But um, I mean, it's, it's nowhere in the world, I don't think, can you have that, um, that density of porphyries sitting unexplored at surface. And that is why it is the um, last year, 90% of the exploration dollars in South America went into Ecuador. It's if you look at the growth of exploration, uh, which countries saw exploration expenditure grow in 2019, Ecuador's, I mean, Australia saw the most, and then the US, and then the fourth ranked was Ecuador globally. Which is surprising. And um, obviously, un undiscovered, untouched. Um, I suppose goes, that goes to my next question. Um, can you sort of describe the geology in Ecuador? Um, and where the most, I suppose, prospect regions in your mind um, and why you think those particular regions are more um, attractive than other regions within Ecuador? Um, okay. Um, uh, Ecuador is a um, relatively kind of um, equilateral uh, country with, with the Andes running down the central spine of it. Um, to the west of the the watershed you've got the Miocene rocks which are 24 million years and younger and then on the eastern side of the country you've got the a Jurassic band so they're 144 million years and older and um, to date the some of the bigger and richer deposits have been found on the Jurassic uh, belt which brings um, which is good the, the geology is great but they are they are in the Atlantic Basin, not on the Pacific Basin, so it's further to the coast. Uh, they're also more remote, so you've got uh, greater infrastructure problems, you've, um, not problems, but challenges. Um, and there's also um, the Amazonian kind of indigenous and local indigenous aspect of community that needs to be managed. 
So um, there are some highly prospective geology in that area. It's um, sometimes it's jungle, sometimes it's difficult to work. So very exciting. And a lot of the exploration efforts is being focused there. Equally exciting on the, the Miocene belt, there are not spots where you've got difficult community access. Um, there are some places where there are high Andes, but there's also quite a lot of stuff which is very exciting on the in the foothills of the Andes um, from 2000 meters uh, altitude and below. And that of course is very close to the coast, much easier infrastructure. Sometimes you have higher population densities, which can be a problem, um, blessing and a curse. You know, you've got um, an employment pool, but equally you've got a, a um, potentially a vocal anti-development uh, community. So um, the, the, the Miocene hasn't um, yet divulged the big rich deposits. So if you look at, um, actually, it was, oh, it's not, it's not true, but they're, they're, you know, there's good stuff in the Miocene and there's good stuff in the Jurassic. Um, on the Miocene, you've got um, uh, Cascabel, the, uh, the Solgold Alpala deposit, which is 3 billion tons, pretty low grade, but with a high grade core, 440 million tons um, at, at uh, um, 0.9 copper and 0.9 gold. So that's a, a good high grade core there. You've also got the Urimagua, which is the, held by Kadelko and Inami, um, which is a billion tons, 982 million tons at 0.9% equivalent. So, you know, there are some big and high grade things on the Miocene. There are some nice epithermals. Um, but there's a lot of exploration to be done there. And of course, on the Jurassic, you've got the, um, the Mirador project, which is now a mine. You've got Fruit del Norte, which is a gold mine. Um, so that's kind of an epithermal. Uh, you've just got the new porphyry discoveries by uh, Solaris on Warinza and um, uh, Porvenir by Solgold. And you've got the historic discoveries of San Pantanza on the same um, Mirador Chinese belt all over on the eastern side of the, um, the Andes. It's, I mean, it's, it's a treasure trove. Uh, uh, can I just really quickly say that? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, within Salazar, Freddie Salazar, he was the regional head of Newmont Exploration for, um, for 10 years. We've got a guy called um, our, kind of our head of geology and exploration is Pacho Francisco Soria. And he has worked, he was at university with Freddie 30, 40 years ago, worked very closely with Freddie over the years. And he was head of the national evaluation program from 2015 to 2018 that worked with the BGS and had a budget of um, over $100 million. And he had 70 geologists under his team and they did blanket stream sediment sampling and chasing up all of the remote sensing targets. It was just a, a national ranking of targets. And he worked with um, Carlos Aguila, uh, who have also worked. So Carlos, Pacho and Freddie have worked together for 30 years. And Carlos, um, I was talking to um, uh, John Suckler from Mariana and he said, oh, Carlos, Dick Silito said that he was, Carlos was the best South American geologist he's ever met. So, you know, he's in our team and we've got this national kind of to total national database and we know that there are walk-up targets and this is how we apply for ground. We, we do ground truthing. Uh, so we've got the database. We send the local teams in there. They route it around. They find the breaches. They find the, the quartz veining. We go in there. We, we do a very quick um, geochemical survey of the thing. If it really stacks up, if it's got the legs, then it's looking like a juicy pumped system, 
we'll put the application in over that. And we've got several of those pending. Yeah. Well, Sally, you've got a lot of advantages there, obviously, with uh, all that data, the people. Um, so, yeah, it, it, sa- it, sounds, it sounds a great great project and, and a, 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 I suppose a strong future for, for you and, and you and the team. Um, every obviously mining jurisdiction has its own unique opportunities and challenges. What would you say Ecuador's challenges and opportunities from your opinion? Obviously you mentioned some of the, the uh, opportunities, but what other challenges do you see that the country facing as a whole for, for, for the mining industry? Oh, it's, it's, it's so complicated and so uh, fascinating, the whole, the whole aspect of a responsible uh, industrial scale mining industry in Ecuador. Uh, there has been mining in Ecuador for generations. And in fact, one of the states in the South is called the Gold State, principally because it's supported mining for, for generations. And when looking at national economics, the politicians can see that they need the mining, they can see the foreign direct investment, they can see the exports and all the numbers stack up. But getting that across politically is really hard. There's an election coming up in February and there's a very popular sentiment at the moment that we want water, we don't want mining, we want biodiversity, we don't want mining. And there's a, a lack of understanding of how integrated mining can be into a genuine, um, genuinely positive kind of um, virtuous circle of progress. And I think the, the, the real challenges are, oh, I mean, I, I, there are so many. They, they've, they've, they've merged the mining sector, the mining industry with the petroleum sector. So it's, it's now lost its independent voice. Uh, they've tried to merge the water board with environmental agencies. So th- there's a difficulty of, now there's a loss of agency. So now people don't know who can, provide licenses or um, permits for uh, water permits or environmental permits for drilling. Um, There's a population that doesn't understand mining and so it needs education and it's it's very easy to make a mistake on the community relations. And I think this is where most people are gonna trip up. The government, I think over time will sort itself out. Mm. The leading candidate is a, from the Correa school and he was the socialist who was anti-mining but then came around to be strongly pro-mining in the end. Um, so the leading, can- leading candidate, if he gets in in February and is inducted as the president in May, I think will be extremely good for Ecuador at the national level, but that will still leave abundant challenges at the local level where every single project will live or die by the quality and the commitment and the sensitivity of its CSR program. And how are you finding your CSR program? Uh, well, we've got the um, we've got the 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 the, the, the magic sauce in um, <laughs> um, in Freddie Salazar because he's been doing it all his life. And what his particular expertise is is that he's of the people and he really understands yeah. how to do it. So our approach. So he's also getting the trust of the people as well. It's, you've hit the nail on the head. It's exactly that word. It's the trust of the people. So what we do not do is go in there with the local authority and say, we're a big mining company. We're going to um, look after you. Uh, let us into your land. What we do, first of all, is we go in very low key. We sit and we talk with the locals. 
we understand what their needs and wants are, and we immediately start addressing those before we do any technical work. We talk about um, cattle management or lemongrass production or uh, how to um, propagate uh, coffee seedlings. You know, it's it's so, very, very, very local and we work, they, we build the trust up from the bottom up before yeah. we do any technical work. So what are their main needs, would you say, these local communities? Is it around the farming um, in these particular areas? Uh, in some, yes. I mean, but we're drilling, for example, in Los Osos at the moment, and the need there is uh, very different. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a panning culture. Their need is employment, so they're coming up to yeah. us and can we work underground with you? Can we can we start mining? And we're going well, actually, <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> we hope soon, <laughs> not just yet. So no, it's it's very much case by case. Yeah. So we're working in one area up in the north, which is um, cattle management. We're working in another area, which is coffee. We're working in um, Los Osos, where it's gold panning. Uh, across the board, we take a different approach. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously, we're speaking about, obviously, the community. Um, what, what kind of things do you talk about creating positive change through exploration? Um, and how does that sort of work in reality? Um, and how do you communicate this to, obviously, shareholders and communities alike? Oh, there's, there's, there's the academic approach, the top-down approach, which uh, um, you alluded to in your introduction. You know, I've been um, kind of quite interested in... Um, the economic side of things right from my first year of geology that, that if you want to create wealth for nations you've got to take capital labor um ideas and land and you've got to transform that into into wealth and the the, um, the british empire did it australia did it uh, the us has done it every developed nation takes its its land and you through a drillery you through a drill rig, you can turn moose pasture into a billion dollar asset. And that is truly transformational. As a fund manager once said to me, he said, I like mining because it gives me sex and violence in my portfolio. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's it, through the drill rig, you can hit something and you can transform it into a hundred million dollar or a billion dollar asset. And that's, that's truly mm. phenomenal. Practically at the, uh, how we do it in Ecuador, again, it's building up trust and building up trust. And the best case we've got um, within the companies at Curipamba, where we made the BMS discovery at El Domo, and that's the project that we farmed out 75% to Adventus. But um, Freddie and Carlos and Pacho made the discovery in 2018, and we've been drilling it more or less ever since then. Um, we, it, it was a, one of the, it's on the um, Pacific side of the Andes, it's in the lowlands, it's quite populated. And what Freddie did there was he realized that there was an opportunity to create football academies because there were three or four communities um, quite close to the, the mineralized area. And so he created these football academies and he's now actually created a football team called the Miners. All right, okay. And um, they've gone up through the division. And can you imagine now having kind of in the, in the premiership, you know, um, um miners united i mean it'd be, yeah. it'd be, it'd be blooming marvelous yeah um and, and owned, by this, the, owned by this mining magnet owned by this mining <laughs> magnet and and what you get in the football stadiums you get everybody shouting miners miners or in spanish los mineros 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 um and um 
I mean, the, 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 there's also a dance school. There's a folklore, um, there's a traditional dance school. Um, he's done so many little projects which have been almost self-funding, which have built up this trust and awareness in the community. You can actually see the pride. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about positive change. And now people are dependent on the jobs. They depend on the, so they, the, the cafes in the local town feed the workers who are doing the feasibility study, the geotechnical drilling and all, and the, all the infill drilling and the metallurgical work and the people in the core shed. You know, that gradually the team grows and gradually the local community relies on it more and more and it becomes integral to it. And you've got a football team, which is now going up through the divisions. You've got um, a dance troupe, which is now competing internationally. Uh, there are painting competitions, you know, each of these little incrementally uh, value adding enterprises build and grow trust. And in fact, because Ecuador is um, such a biodiverse region and it's beloved by um, so-called uh, green NGOs, uh, I don't really hold truck with that, but um, there's, a, um, there's a national organization of anti-mining protests and they spent two years in Kurupamba and then they went to another area and I was at the PDAC and I was in the bar uh, at the PDAC in March, just before the lockdown. Same, right? Yeah. And um, this lawyer said, he said, oh, you know what? Um, we had these anti-mining NGO arriving at our property, bitching and moaning because they couldn't get traction with the local community in Kurupamba where we were working. Because you built that trust up. Because we built that trust it. up. Yeah. yeah. So those people, what do they understand about mining? Or is it just through conversations that they un they understand a little bit? Is there any, I mean, do you promote any, any sort of educational to these people around mining? And obviously, apart from some of the advantages, how it will affect the community and, and the whole nature of, of mining um and and um, them un actually understanding that everything we we have we touch probably has come from a mine um is do you have any sort of educational programs that you provide these people so they apart from just trusting you um actually understand why you're there and what you're doing uh, yes we do that we um uh, in fact, recently I've, I've seen some art produced by ten-year-olds uh, and eleven-year-olds talking about kind of the integrated nature of it all and job creation. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly coming through at a at a um, an education level for the juniors. Um, we do site visits. Uh, um, we're working with universities. Uh, we've got a huge um, program on a higher education level, working with. Um, the university, the two or three of the key universities in Ecuador. Uh, we contribute and we've helped reform the Chamber of Mines, which is a kind of a lobbying process uh, in Quito with all the major mining companies uh, promoting that. And so that's kind of a national advertisement. Um, you know, it's every little thing helps from the work that you're doing locally to the fact that just two days ago, um, the central bank announced that mining was the fourth largest contributed to foreign exports in August. And that's just from two mines. And, and they can see that there are another uh, 17 development projects uh, with all this money kind of building up, looking yeah. to invest. And actually uh, over the last 
two years, it's been very difficult to invest in Ecuador because of delays with water permits, environmental permits, the mining cadastre has been closed, we've got an election coming up. So despite all of these breaks on the foreign direct, direct investment coming in, actually there's been flow. So, um, God, it's really hard to encapsulate, but um, education at the children's level, um, uh, the level of children um, through the schools and site visits. Uh, direct experience is probably on the local level the most important thing. Mm. It's the employment, it's that trust. And I've, um, and then on a national level, it's just people getting aware that mining, uh, mining in Ecuador has got a really bad association and a really bad connotation. A bit like mining in the UK. You talk about mining here and people go, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a mine that is being run today is very different to a mine that was being run 40 years ago. If you look inside your car, it's a very different animal to what it was 40 years ago. They, they, they do roughly the same job, but they do it in a completely different way. Much better safety standards, much fewer emissions. It's just like the mining sector. There's been wholesale improvement right through the entire process. And the mining association in Ecuador in people's minds is often artisanal, uh, it's often uh, unlicensed corruption, no tax being paid, um, possibly indentured labor, um, possibly linked to prostitution, migrant labor. You know, it's, the, so it's all um, neg negativity. It's all negative. Their, their perception of the industries, all these various attributes that you just mentioned, they're all negatives. So they have that impression uh, in their mind yeah. about mining. Um, and to try and turn all of that around must be obviously is difficult, but I suppose it's just over time, just step by step, chipping away. chipping away. Yeah. And um, in a sense, you just do what you can. You get the license, you've got the laws, you do everything to the best ability within that. You speak to your local community. Um, once the local politicians see that you've got the local community on side, suddenly they go, oh, okay, this is working. Mm. Um, definitely that way around. Don't go to the, to the regional authorities and the politicians first. And we've, uh, we've, I've seen that happen on one of the projects that, that we're um, associated with not working. Yeah. Disaster. Yeah. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't the way that we do things. Yeah. Okay. I want to slowly um, conclude this. Um, what makes you excited about the opportunity in Ecuador? Um, and what do you want to sort of achieve over the over the coming years? Oh, very simple. Uh, we want to we want to make one of those transformational discoveries. We want to turn um, a, a bit of forgotten hillside into a billion dollar asset, and that you can do that through drilling. And um, you know that's the whole excitement thing. You want to take this company and make uh, the first discovery and possibly more. And we've got a portfolio of uh, three projects which are wholly owned and we've got four more which we've applied for which are in which are pending and we've got a bunch of other applications after that and my ambition is not just to make one big discovery but a couple, two or three. I can actually, I, I can, I've looked at the geology, I see where it is. We will take on one on 100% and that should, I hope, drive the market capitalization of this company from 30 million US to way, way north of that. And then we can farm out the other stuff. So I want to make discoveries for Ecuador, for the communities and for the shareholders of Salazar. Yeah. 
Okay, no, that sounds great. And um, wish you well on your uh, journey. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any social media platforms? Uh, I am personally, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and I'm, my name is on the bottom of every Salazar Resources um, news release. Uh, the company Salazar Resources has got its website, salazarresources.com. It's got a LinkedIn page and a Twitter page. So uh, it should be relatively easy to find us. Yeah, and we'll put all those in the show notes accompanying this podcast as well. So people can uh, obviously get in contact with you if they've got any uh, questions. Um, really appreciate your time, Merlin, especially giving us an overview of Ecuador. I don't think um, in any of the podcasts we've actually focused on Ecuador, but um, you certainly gave us gave us a good count and gave the audience a good count of the, of the um, jurisdiction and and what the the potential is for for the country and mining. So um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be uh, watching a. Uh, you, uh, you guys closely and um, and obviously looking at Ecuador as a possible destination. So um, really appreciate your time. Um, thank you, audience, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, if you feel that anyone uh, wants would like to obviously hear hear this episode, especially around Ecuador, um, appreciate if you can share this um, and promote it to your friends, colleagues, and anyone else in the mining industry. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing sharing the podcast and getting this out to further across, further to the world, um, this free content. And um, yeah, and, and, and obviously as you listen, Merlin gave, gave a great view, uh, review of uh, Ecuador and mining in Ecuador. So I um, uh, really appreciate your time for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.